Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lentz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's program, you can learn more about us, our free events, how to donate, the podcast, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and the first part of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the crucifixion of Jesus is an example of God's wisdom. Well, the wisdom of God is our message, and the Bible talks about wisdom in a lot of different places. The Greek word is Sophia. The Greeks had a real love for wisdom, but their love for wisdom really was about worldly wisdom. And there is a distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. If you skip ahead in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, you'll notice the distinction. For since, 1 Corinthians 1.21, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Bible students, notice that there's a difference between the wisdom of God and the world's wisdom. This is the distinction that we want to point out as we move into a section that's really going to give us the difference between the two types of wisdom. There is a wisdom of the world, and in the Greek culture, uh, I think any of you who studied some world history know that you, know, you had Plato and Socrates and this kind of thing, and there was a lot of uh, philosophies that were coming down the pike in the Greek world. And the Greek world was dominant, really, at this moment of history. And then moving into, actually, the, the Romans became dominant, but it was still Greek culture that largely dominated the world. Our Bibles are written in Koine Greek in the New Testament for a reason. And so what we have before us is we have two different types of wisdom, and there's really only two different types and really only two different categories. However, for the Greeks, they had... Some, something like 50 different schools of philosophical thought. And in our day, there's a lot of different philosophies that come into the world of business, into the university system. In fact, I think a lot of uh, you know, people who are on the conservative side are saying that the secular university is becoming one of the most dangerous places in the world for our up-and-coming students. Because it becomes a laboratory for humanism, for uh, anti-supernaturalism, to marginalize the Bible, to mock those who would hold to a creation viewpoint, for example. Our students who are going into secular universities get mocked for believing in a creator when the overwhelming evidence points there. Just look at your body, look at the human eye, look at your brain, look at DNA, look at the the planets and the way that they fit together and the exact right distances, look at... Look at sea life. There's so many things that we can talk about. There is an awesome designer who made all of this. This is not the consequence of an accidental, mindless, purposeless chance explosion eons ago. So, but this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with different types of philosophies in the world. And we're asking the question, and I think it's the most fundamental question of all, whose wisdom ultimately will you embrace? In the Jewish mind, wisdom had the idea of a practical living out of what you believe. It actually has the idea of one who is skillful in living their life. The book of Proverbs, for example, is filled with all kinds of practical wisdom. But it's not just in the book of Proverbs. It's everywhere in the Bible. And if you're going to be a wise person, the Bible calls you to do things God's way, to know who God is, to know his will and his ways, and then to carry it out. 
It is a God orientation that the Bible calls for. It is to align your life with heaven's values. Wisdom is above all a practical oriented virtue, says one writer, that gives direction for the life of the godly person. But we all would agree that probably one of the biggest disconnects in the modern church, and I, and I would say it's been true for 2,000 years now, is the difference between knowing something and actually doing something. Now that's the practical side of wisdom, and we talked about some of that in the book of James. But in this short section that we're going to study this morning, the wisdom that's placed before us is really not about practical wisdom per se. That could flow out of this. But this is about salvation wisdom. This is what are you going to believe about your life and your destiny. In Psalm 90, the only psalm that Moses wrote that we know of, Moses said to God, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses tied the brevity of life into navigating life in a wise way, but especially when it comes to your eternal destiny. If you want to be called a wise person, you need to make sure you know how you get saved. Some people deny that they even need to be saved. There are people who are denying that sin is a problem. I'm not a sinner. I don't want to be categorized that way. But you are a sinner. <laughs> this is the, these are the facts. And I think if we just look at the Ten Commandments, we all know that we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin issue, a sin problem. And sin is 100% deadly 100% of the time. In fact, the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so with all the problems in the world, the Bible says the root of all the problems is sin. Now sin expresses itself in different ways. But the root of our problems is sin. And so one writer put it this way, we have enough teachers, amen? We've had teachers come down through the centuries. If you're a book person, you can read books until the cows come home and the cows' children and grandchildren come home. There's books upon books upon books upon books. And one writer put it this way, we don't need another teacher. We need a redeemer. Do you agree? We need a redeemer. And for 2,000 years, if you could just go back to the time of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, as world history has unfolded and we've had technological advances and, you know, maybe we could think, oh, we've gotten smarter in this way and that way. Let me ask you, has, have those advances, just go back a millennia or two millennia, 2,000 years, have those advances, whatever they may be, whatever fields they may be, helped us solve the most fundamental questions of humanity? No, in fact, I would say in some ways we've become worse. We've become more skillful at executing our sin. More, more advanced in the way we fight wars, for example, or the ways that we carry out our immoral desires. And so the advancements that we would hope in science and other places that might carry off the answers to humans' basic problems are just not there. Because here's the problem. We have a sin problem, and we need a Savior. And the wisdom of God says, look, I know what the problem is, and I'm sending you a solution. The one in whom lie all 
the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end. And if you begin to study his sermons and study his life and study the scriptures, you will become wise. Now, the opposite of the wise person in scripture is the fool. The fool in the Bible is not someone devoid of mental acumen, someone who's just dumb. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the fool. But the fool says in his heart, what? There is no God, Psalm 14.1. If you continue to read in Psalm 14, the reason that he has that mantra that he's embraced, there's no God, is because he wants to live immorally. He's become corrupt in his way of living. He doesn't want to be under the law of God or under the dictates of God. So he dismisses God so that he can live the way, she can live the way they want to. This is the wisdom of the world. Look at Corinth. I described Corinth to you as an ancient Las Vegas. Everything that could be considered corrupt was there. And what was happening is though the Corinthian church, young in the Lord, had been saved and the church had been planted about five years before this letter was written, the Apostle Paul got a report from Chloe's people that the church was a disaster. They had factions going. They were taking the Corinthian ways into the church rather than bringing the church's wisdom to Corinth. Corinth's Corinth's wisdom or the world's wisdom was permeating the church. And they were beginning to re-embrace all the things that they had been saved from. The Apostle Paul throughout this letter is going to remind them again and again what's most important in God's eyes. The ultimate wisdom is the wisdom of God. One writer says, Mary Bell, a consultant to many high-level executives, says that achievement is the alcohol of our time. She goes on to say that the more you achieve, the more you feel dynamite. These days, the best people don't abuse alcohol, they abuse their lives. When you complete a project, you feel, a, you feel dynamite. Or when you start something new and you're able to show your visionary entrepreneurial skills. And you can be somebody who can start something from nothing something that is so highly praised in our culture, that's a feeling of euphoria and, of course, of your self-esteem. The way you evaluate and form your identity is on the line here. Remember? That we're so concerned about protecting our status and the reason why we engage in status anxiety is for the very reason that somebody might actually find out that I might be a fraud. So our self-esteem is on the line because we've been gathering our self-worth externally, living out your life dependent upon the judgments of the people outside of you. She went on to say, an achievement addict is no different than any other kind of addict. Why the quote, Pastor Michael, simply this, that the Corinthian people believed that wisdom in the worldly sense could help you achieve, give you status, give you power, And it is no different today. The categories or the the words may change a little bit, but the emphasis is still the same. I get my identity from what people think about me, who I run with, what company I work for, what I drive, what I wear, what, what I invest in, you name it, it's there. This is the same wisdom, in quotes, that's been around for a couple thousand years. And so here's what Paul says about his mission. When he came into Corinth, Here's what he was called to do. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. What I invest in, you name it, it's there. This is the same wisdom in quotes that's been around for a couple thousand years. And so here's what Paul says about his mission. When he came into Corinth, here's what he was called to do. Skip back for a moment in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's the good news of Christ. Not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. The NIV said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom. That's not in the Sophia of Lagos, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says, look, you may be lining up behind these teachers. You may say you're of Apollos. You may say you're of Paul. You're of Peter. You're of Jesus. But I have news for you. All of these teachers preach the same gospel, the wisdom of God. That's what you need. Walter Martin used to say, look, as we stand up as pastors, we don't need to impress people with our vocabulary. Sometimes I know we throw out words and people say, what? Predesta who? Sanctify what? (laughs) But here's the deal. Paul came into Corinth with simplicity, but with power. If you remove the cross from the centerpiece of modern day preaching, you rob the message of its power. Billy Graham, who preached to so many thousands of people, would again and again go back to the cross. Why? Because that's where the power is. The cross is the message of God's love and justice on display. But it gets mocked. There's an ancient graffito uh, uh, drawing, if you will, that has the body of a man with the head of a donkey. And a, a Greek you know, mind of the past is mocking the worshiper who worships a crucified uh, Messiah. They, they mock it. Have, have you heard it in our day and age? You'll, you'll maybe flip on a comedian or you'll, you'll watch a TV show and there it goes. They go down the mock trail. They want to mock Christianity. They mock the cross. They mock people who believe. Although the country they live in was founded on biblical principles. So here's where we are today. And it's no different from where the Corinthian congregation was in their day. The word of the cross. See, see the word word there in verse 18? That's, that's the lagos or the message of the cross as it's uh, translated in some versions. Is to those who are perishing, what is it? It's foolishness. Now remember how we've talked about the difference between the wise person and the fool? Here the person that is perishing has categorized the cross as foolishness. That's, they might say, ridiculous. How could a man, have you heard this before, dying on a cross 2,000 years ago have any bearing on my life today? 
And so they marginalized the cross, they mocked the cross, and it may be that in the Corinthian congregation, since the Corinthian culture was re-permeating itself into the church, that the people were tiring of the message of the cross. Maybe they were saying, we want to get back into some cool rhetoric. We want to get back into, maybe the, the centerpiece of the preaching on Sunday morning should be a story or an anecdote or something, you know, maybe, maybe kind of a, something that's going on in the headlines. But, but let's, let's get over that Bible stuff. Years ago, I had a friend who was talking to a lady. She was attending a certain fellowship, which will remain unnamed. And uh, she was pontificating about what she liked about it. I, I like this. I like that. I like this. And my friend said, well, do they teach the Bible? And the woman's response was, no, I don't want to go somewhere and listen to the Bible for 45 minutes. <laughs> my friend was a bit taken back by that. So what, what is it that you want to do in church? Well, we, we know some of the answers, right? We want to be entertained. We, we'd like to kind of keep it brief so we can get on with the rest of our normal day. But see, that's not who the church is. But that is the philosophy of many in our world. The word of the cross, the message of the cross, is to those who are, would you note it, perishing. The word perishing is a strong word. It's apolumi in the Greek, and it means to be destroyed fully. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. They will have everlasting life. What's at stake here? Who said that? Jesus. God so loved the world that he said he gave his son. That's why I'm here, Jesus might say. I'm here on a rescue mission. And the world and the people of, you know, Paul's day could say, ah, that's ridiculous. But for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He is the power of God. To those who are perishing, it's foolishness. It's the Greek word moria, where we get moronic. It's silliness. It's absurdity. Phillips has it as nonsense. But to us who are being saved... Sozo, the Greek word, it's the power of God. You see, when I talk about my faith, I say I'm saved. Saved from what, you might ask? Think about it. What are you saved from? Judgment. Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, was taking the wrath of God in your place. Sometimes I've had the chance to describe the gospel and explain it, and there have been people who have been around religious things for quite some time, and they say, I've never heard it put that way, that Jesus was taking the wrath of God, taking my shame and my punishment at the cross. I never got that before. That is part of the message. But what held him to the cross, and you've heard this before, is not nails, it's love. It's God's love. On display, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to what? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. The gospel, please hear this, is the dunamis power of God. If you don't preach the gospel, 
then you take away the power. So you could be impressed with flowery speech or rhetoric. You can hear eloquent speeches and great stories told. But if the cross or the gospel of Jesus Christ is not preached, it will be void of power. And here's my concern in our day. I'm not sure we trust that the message has power. But it does. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and that was the first part of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the crucifixion of Jesus is an example of God's wisdom. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Remember, we would like to help equip the body of Christ. Studying the Bible brings up a lot of questions. Friends and family do too when they find out you're a Christian. Whatever the question is, send it our way so Pastor Michael can address it on air. Chances are you're not the only one that has that same question. So email it to us at the address answers at walkintruth.com. That's answers at walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, friends, we've been telling you a little bit about what's next for Walk in Truth, and we do have a vision for this ministry. And of course, we want the vision to be God's vision, and he surprises us with opportunities that he does open up. And we never want resources to keep us from walking through open doors. And so one of the ways that God supplies the resources is through partners like you. And there have been people stepping up for Walk in Truth, becoming monthly partners as more people get familiar with the program and the teaching. It's awesome to see what God is doing. And we have some vision that we want to put before you, some opportunities. We have 11 radio stations. Let me just name the areas. Coachella, Hemet, Temecula, Beaumont, Fallbrook. We have an opportunity in San Francisco, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio, and Idaho. We can get 13 stations for $3,500, and that is a monthly commitment. That would mean if 100 people would commit to $5, we would get on one station, $5 a month. Or if 100 of you could commit to $35 a month, we would get on 13 stations. Just think about one radio station and how many hundreds and thousands of people listen and multiply that out to 13 stations. Can you... Can you picture some faces, some people on the driving on the freeway, just, man, stressed out, desperate, without God, without hope? Can you imagine a mom listening as she's trying to take care of all the stuff at home or a, maybe somebody caught in freeway traffic who, as we heard just recently, stumbles, quote unquote, on the teaching station and gets saved or comes back home as a prodigal? These are all things that God does when he uses radio. And you can be part of that partnership. Isn't that a great thing to think about? Hey, man, I'm giving money, and it's reaching hundreds, perhaps thousands of people as I just give 35 bucks a month, which, let's face it, that's probably like a fast food meal and you know three or four cups of coffee. So, hey, think about it, pray about it, but then do something about it. Don't think someone else is going to do it. And remember, you know, as I say this, it's not my favorite subject, but I want you to know that the Bible brings this up as uh, you partner with ministries. God is pleased because more people are reached and he's glorified. So be praying about it. Hey, you can check out uh, the, all the information on how to give at walkintruth.com or give us a call here during normal business hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to tell you more about what we're doing, and you can talk to us about it, and that'd be awesome. 
All right, 844-48-TRUTH or walkintruth.com. I also want to take a moment to invite you to our Wednesday night service. We're going through the book of Job right now. What an incredible book. You know, every time I'm like, where are we going next in the book of Job? God surprises me with a, a verse like Job saying, man, I know when I come out the other side of this, I'm going to be, I'm going to come out, I'm going to come forth as pure gold. Wow. Or I've treasured his word more than my necessary food. Job in the midst of trials is still a man of faith. And that's what we need in our trials to, to lean into God and to know that sometimes he uses our trials often to refine us and we might come out the other side, come forth as pure gold. The book of Job on Wednesday nights here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, where I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor. We do this midweek service at 7 p.m. We have a great time of worship, a little bit more intimate, casual setting as we do the worship and the word of God. Sometimes we have communion and we all come forward to enjoy that. Great time to get to know some other believers, get a midweek buildup for the rest of your week ahead until Sunday. It's a great thing. 7 p.m., Living Truth. You can find out information and directions when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Look for the red logo with the pillars. And Living Truth is in the city of Corona, right off the 91 and Lincoln Avenue. Love to meet you. Come on out on a Wednesday night. We'll see you here. When you tune in tomorrow, we'll be listening to the second part of Pastor Michael's study in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the crucifixion of Jesus is an example of God's wisdom. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. It's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.